me asking for a new opportunity is still I still being part of the team. I don't I, I want to help finish and tackle some of these challenges that we've been encountering at work, but I need to do it from a different position on the floor and a different position on the team as well. And so you have to be secure in yourself and know your know your value and know what things you can contribute to the team um, in the overall big picture and earn an opportunity. You can only do that by actually outputting really good results in order for someone to listen to you. You're tuned in to the Breaking Red Podcast, the show for rising military leaders who want to trailblaze the future. We tackle the profession of arms with creative solutions to dynamic issues. This isn't your typical leadership course, so be ready to step up your game and define the future. I am your host, Gabriel Gay Brockavilla. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. Gabe Brock back on the mic once again, realizing this is actually going to be episode 14. Pretty cool that we've made it this far. Uh, been a lot of fun, and I still enjoy and have a bunch of things I want to talk about to the point where uh, this one's going to be a another hot three episode. Going to tackle three topics that have been on my mind or that I have developed a strong opinion about. I just want to share my thoughts and hopefully uh, inspire any listeners out there to um, interpret their own thoughts as well and move out and hopefully make our Air Force and our military a better place to work in. Before I get into the hot three topics, I want to give a shout out to uh, my friend, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Darth Vetter. Um, Ryan was one of my first bosses back in McConnell when we were stationed back in the 22nd Comm Squadron days. And uh, he works over in uh, the DISA AFRICOM, DISA Europe area. And he was TDY over at Fort Meade this week. And we were able to um, came, I came off shift and then he was there for a meeting. So we went downstairs to the cafeteria and just kind of, it was like good old times. We were just in there chatting for like an hour and a half and, uh, uh really, uh, happy to hear him and his family are doing well. Uh, him and Lisa are doing some good things out in Europe. And then I was giving, giving him the updates about me, Gina, Lana and Ben. And it's just kind of good to see old, uh, old teammates, uh, doing very, very well. And, you know, it, it, it never hurts to just kind of check in with someone to see how they're doing. Uh, both of our careers are have gone separate paths, but what I believe it's very it's been a successful ride thus far. And, uh, you know, he's I real I see him as a mentor to me still. He was one of the first I think I was a, I was a first lieutenant. He was a captain and I worked for him back in SCX flight commander days. And uh, he took me under his wing and I learned a lot from him. The other uh, flight commanders, squadron commanders, the 22nd Comm Squadron, I'm very thankful for everyone that uh, I was able to work with uh, that helped shape a lot of my CGO days. And uh, but, you know, a small Air Force. And when we get an opportunity to uh, share stories and share some laughs, it's always good. So, uh, Ryan, uh, Darth, I hope you enjoy this uh, episode as you're walking your dog wherever that happens to be so all right so hot three what i want to talk about today uh, i was um I'm, I'm a member of several uh closed facebook groups some of the officer mentorship ones is some 17 delta of uh, groups and it's really it's a good source for uh topics to either talk about or just kind of help uh provide my advice or my take on certain subjects. Um, all of those closed groups are actually really, I, I find them to be very uh, helpful for me. And I hope that uh, um, they're helpful for everybody else. So shout out to everybody who, sh who creates these groups for everyone to use. One of the recent topics, there was a uh, member was asking for some advice on how any like local courses that could help tackle the subject of doing how to lead teams of 60 to 80 people. And so depending on what kind of, um, 
squadron you're in, each function is going to have a certain level of numbers that that's going to be appropriate. So comm squadrons are relatively small, comparative to the other larger uh, mission support group type of squadrons, mainly CE and LRS, uh, even services, depending on, or FSS, depending on what kind of squadron you're in, if you're just counting the military num- members. So when you have those kind of things exposed, uh, when you first come in as a young CGO, as a lieutenant, you can actually have a flight. You could be a flight commander and be in charge of more people and be responsible for more people than I would as a squadron commander. When I was first at Holloman, I, uh, the squadron was about 140, I want to say, 140, 160. And I met like this LRS. I think she was a vehicle. I can't remember her name. She was a vehicle, uh, um, the vehicle officer. And she asked me at one of the holiday parties, and then we were hanging out. She's like, hey, sir, so what size is the uh, comp squadron? I was like, oh, it's about like 160. She kind of looked at me, and then she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, I-, I saw what your eyes did. Don't do that. She's like, what are you talking about, sir? I was like, I know your vehicle flight is like 300 people, so I get it. But I'm important, damn it, and I'm a commander. I was joking, obviously. And she's like, oh, my God, sir, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, I'm messing with you. It's pretty awesome. I, d- I don't know how I would be able to handle 300 people uh, as a lieutenant. I was barely able to do something well with, like, the 60 or 70 I was, re- I was supposed to be responsible for. So, um, but in any case, in this Facebook group, they were asking for, hey, so are, they a- are there any local flight leadership courses as directed that uh, uh, General Goldfeed asked us to stand up? Every wing was supposed to stand, establish local flight leadership courses, and I think she was asking for it. Has anyone tackled the subject of scheduling across shifts and how to handle you know, um, any tips to handle teams between 60 and 80? So there's ongoing discussion, and I saw where was the conversation was going, and people recommended, yeah, so Air University has a couple things. Maybe check SOS. Uh, you can go into certain um, wing. I don't know if they've established one lo- uh, central location to place any of the flight leadership courses. I was familiar with the one at J-Bear that uh, um, the FSS commander put on. Uh, so it was good. So th- with a lot of discussion of where these resources are, and eventually I was just saying, I came to this point and I shared my, my opinion. I was like, uh, I actually think some of these like these required, if you want to call them, or formal leadership courses, they all suck. And I, and I say that as in I'm not, that's not a slight to anybody. What I'm saying is you're looking for something to where there's going to be some sort of um, attempt to package something together that's repeatable and you can pass it along. But inevitably, it's only going to be just as it's not going to always fit and be the solution that everybody's looking for. So as a, the Facebook conversation continued to go, it said that, like, why don't you just go find a maintenance officer and go ask them, a successful maintenance officer, and just talk to them? Because that's where uh, this, the, the subject was coming from. And I was, I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably better. Um, there's probably some local resources either at your base or you've even talked to an experienced, you know, the, the DO or another uh, someone in that, in that field to where, yeah, because each, each field has different things you have to do, deal with, right? So maintainers, although there's different kind of shift schedules and um, uh, team compositions, you have maintainers who go 24-7, you have security forces 24-7, you have a lot of different functions, but they all have unique things you have to deal with. And so I would almost, there's nothing wrong with going outside of that function and trying to learn something different. But my first starting off point would be like, where can I go locally? How can I find another maintenance officer to help me mentor this other CGO to do, um, to get them in a better place to manage their teams and so inevitably my my opinion is i'm not a big fan of uh i understand the purpose of pme and formal training and formal education but i never relied on that as being the source i believe the the most important things you can do is just talk is learn through experience your own experience and fail applying 
things, trying things, and, tr- and, and then failing and succeeding accordingly. And then also just talking to people who've kind of walked that walk and, I, and have a, a deliberate discussion for someone or with people that, have, uh, that you want to um, kind of emulate or either repeat some of the success- successes that they have uh, uh, accomplished. First sergeant that I used to work with, uh, Sam Novosel, uh, he was never a fan of PM. Him and I, he's my first sergeant, and then during clo- he's retired now. But during our closed door sessions, he always say, uh, "PME is shit." And I'm like, "What, dude? You can't say that. What do you mean?" Like, it's, he's like, "No, it is. It's there's you 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 go through this thing, and all of a you know four to six weeks of NCO Academy or ALS, and, and all of a sudden you pop out like, oh, now I'm ready to lead airmen. Like, that's not real. You have to actually perform it. You have to do it, and so." I think maybe his influence kind of stuck with me that like, it's not the answer. It's a answer. It could be helpful, but you don't have to necessarily have to lean on those because that's not what is going to be. That's not going to save you just because you checked that box and did some formal training. doesn't mean you're going to get any, uh, does it automatically mean you're going to become a better leader? Most of the things is going to you becoming a better leader is through trial execution, failure, learning, keep and repeat, just keep on doing that over and over until you uh, get uh, successful at it. So first hot topic, uh, not a big fan of formal leadership, formal training, formal training, formal leadership courses. I apologize. Number two, um, I recently went to a crisis action planning kind of training course thing. It was like an hour and a half discussion led at uh, JVC Doden where uh, uh, J53 got up and talked about uh, how, you know, it was actually good. It was an army lieutenant colonel who um, went over. It was kind of funny. He had to start it off saying, this is all my opinion, so you need to take it as is just my opinion. This is not doctrinally correct. And then he, it was a really good quote. He quoted, uh, you know, uh, Secretary Mattis um, saying the doctrine is, doct- those who rely on doctrine uh, are unimaginative. Um, I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying the quote exactly, but it's a really good quote. Basically just saying doctrine is something there, but that is not, if you start quoting doctrine like that, immediately you probably should start questioning where this person is coming from. Because if you're going to stick, if you just are only the person like doctrine, man, you ha- must stick to it. You therefore are not going to be able to, that's not how problems and, and things that we encounter at work are not cleanly developed like that. So you can't always rely on that. Um, and so he went over the entire doctrinal JP, whatever it is. And then, then he skinny down. So here's the more, most important things. And this is what I wanted to relay here. So two, two important things. Spending your time first defining the problem during mission analysis, by far the most important piece. It's, it's basically step one. If you get step one wrong, everything else after that is going to be futile. So um, if you don't truly understand what the problem is and define it, you can't necessarily define the exit criteria. You, you don't understand how to measure your success uh, or your measure performance, measure of effectiveness. And so you have to spend the right amount of time defining the problem and not just reacting. And that takes some discipline in order to be like, to, to get into that. You're going to have the pressure, especially in crisis. You're going to have the pressure of leadership wanting information, people wanting guidance, updates being provided a certain battle rhythm, and all those they need to happen. So the the, the good leaders are going to keep a cool, calm head, and being able to find someone, or you're going to be end up you you must become that someone that will define the problem and cage it and frame it accordingly. And number two is communication, and so two different versions of that. So making sure one, the entire team understands the plan and where you're going um, to the point where they understand they're part of it and also uh, are able to contribute to whether or not their part is realistically doable or not. And I think that managing expectations early on is going to be important else you're going to 
as you inform leadership, they're going to expect miracles or magic to happen when in reality, those things can happen because of lack of resources, of lack of understanding of what uh, the solution sets you have to apply the problem are only are limited. But if you don't say those things out loud, you're potentially putting your team behind the eight ball. And unfortunately, they will not be able to achieve success. So you have to be uh, make sure that everybody's um, inputs are, are calculated correctly and they're they're realistically managed. Number two is you're going to need to have someone who can wrap all this up. You need to have a strategic communicator. So I'm not necessarily talking about a PA person, although that person, it could be a PA person, but I'm not talking about establishing and communicating what's going on to the public. This strategic communication is how to bridge the gap between effectively updating your leadership in a very actionable manner and a very clear to understand how to present information to them, how to gather decision-making points, and how to get um, things accomplished that also are representative of how the team can get there. So in other words, you have to reverse engineer your all of your updates, if that's if what you need to do, that's what you need to do. You, and I, I'm a big fan of that to where I understand how leadership knows how to calculate information, what they need to make decision points. What are, I don't want to say their strength, strengths and weaknesses. It's mainly more of their biases and how they intake information. Um, some officers are very visually oriented. Some officers need a lot of detail on the offside. So if you prep them accordingly, they'll be able to make a decision on the spot uh, during the battle of the event. Clearly, one solution doesn't fit fit every leader. So you have to be able to adjust. And I know that makes people uncomfortable because like, oh, every single time leadership changes, we have to change. Yes, noted, get over it. That's what happens. That's And you have to take advantage of that is a lot of times when, when you come in, some of the processes are stale and some of the processes don't make sense. And then you use these opportunities to be like, now we can change it. You know, I was fortunate enough when I came on to Doden that I had a large amount of my chain of command, almost all of it uh, swap out uh, except for the, the commander. So I used it. I saw an opportunity to be like, all right, cool. That means we can shape it the way we want. A lot of people did not necessarily agree with me, but because they're like, no, this is how we need to do it. And I think they were just afraid of change. They're afraid of, you know, they were comfortable in their shitty processes that weren't making sense and, and nobody was making any progress. And I'm like, I, I, I can't deal with that. I, I had my personality is where I want to get shit done and I want to be able to contribute to the team because everybody was complaining about stuff. And, uh, and this is uh, going back to crisis action planning. We did have two crises happen, uh, just named operations, and we're still kind of struggling through how to execute and, and accomplish them because we didn't do some of the early defining of the problem. And we didn't, we do a poor job, but getting better about it, about informing leadership of what's going on realistically. And so I want to be part of that. And Sometimes that involves doing work that you're not used to or doing work that's not necessarily yours, but in the bigger picture, if you want to make progress, in the absence of leadership, you need to lead. And I always believe in that. And, and no one's going to stop you from doing the right thing. It may, uh, it may be at the expense of something else that you should have been doing, but when you start making progress and people see the good things, uh, the, the outputs that's happening, you probably should start questioning, well, should I have been doing that stuff in the first place? Maybe I'm actually, you know, rearranging my workload for, for the things I should be doing. And that things that you think I should have been doing, I should not have been doing at all. So using crisis as uh, crisis action planning to your advantage really can help steer the team in the right direction to get to the point of what you're trying, what you're supposed to be doing. So this leads into my uh, third point during this hot three episode is 
kind of defining your own path. Sometimes you need to create your own opportunity. And so my own job right now as a chief of current ops on the, on the JDOC floor, I can do it. But I've also done this. I did this job like four or five years ago when I was on PACAF staff. It's a great job for a young major because it, it teaches them how to do certain skill sets and get things done. But the, the workload and the things that I'm doing now is a little bit above it, right? And so I've been um, pushing the team to get some changes, to make some positive changes. And it's been being received very well by leadership. They're like, yeah, this is the kind of stuff we're actually making progress now. And I've been doing these jobs kind of at the expense of what at least on paper that's written down was supposed to be stuff I'm doing. Team is our team is supposed to be doing more analysis versus task compliance and uh, uh, that that sort. But since we've been shifting the team a little bit, we've actually been making progress. So I met with my leadership and I explained to them, I'm like, hey, so I know you have me in this certain job right now, but I really think, and we're going to be changing schedules in the beginning of 2020. I, I, I offered up my case and it kind of was kind of was taking a, a, a leap of faith. And I said, I really think that my skills need to be used elsewhere. I'm not saying that I'm not good and I'm, uh, I'm above being chops, but I am saying, and I think everybody can realize, my skill sets need to be applied about these gaps and seams that we have on the team. Someone needs to be, do a better job of managing crisis action planning. I'm probably going to be able to do that. Maybe I end up being the stat cat, standing cat director or something equivalent to that. Someone also needs to know how to articulate themselves correctly to leadership to in order to garner decision making or you know make hard decisions and they want you we should be uh taking that posture we just haven't been presenting the information correctly for to leaders for them to make that decision so i can do that as well they've seen how i can present information and i lead the teams i'm presenting all the work that everybody is doing but i i put it in front of leadership in a logical and a very easily understandable format to the point where we can get shit done and so uh, I offered it up before I left my uh, uh, shift yesterday. We'll see exactly what happens, but sometimes you're going to have to create, and it's a, it's, it's scary. I, this is the first time where I was asking for something that was beyond uh, a change in what was assigned to me, because I know my skill sets, what I can offer to the team, and I also, for, and I even said this out loud, they were for personal selfish reasons because I want to make sure I remain competitive for my career. The, the job that I'm in right now. Uh, once I hit my 06 board in two years, it will not put me in the right position to remain competitive amongst my peers. A lot of people, regardless of my, um, and I don't believe that necessarily where my pedigree before er earns me a certain kind of a job when uh, my next job, but I did realize that no one read my actual resume before I got to my job. Therefore, they didn't, they just saw an officer coming in, like, oh, we'll just put him as chief of current ops. And then they find out after a couple of days, they're like, yeah, you're sort of overqualified for this. I'm like, I believe so as well, but I'm going to be a good teammate and make sure I contribute where I can. And so me asking for a new opportunity is still, I still want to be part of the team. I don't, I, I want to help finish and tackle some of these challenges that we've been encountering at work, but I need to do it from a different position on the floor and a different position on the team as well. And so you have to be secure in yourself and know your, know your value and know what things you can contribute to the team um, in the overall big picture. And, earn an opportunity. You can only do that by actually outputting really good results in order for someone to listen to you. I, there's no way I could have done this in day one or the first week or second week at work. It took me a good solid three months to prove what I can do, prove how I can lead a team to, to where I can. I earned the opportunity to ask for a change, a positive change, not only for myself, but for the team as a whole. So um, it is a, it is a, 
brave choice you're going to have to make. You're going to overcome some personal fears potentially. But in the end, I think the action is going to be justifiable uh, by you requesting a change. So a lot of kind of all, all over topics today. That's why I was I wanted to go over a hot three format. So again, salute, uh, kind of a wrap up. Not a big fan of formal leadership courses. I really think that you can just go talk story with somebody else and go learn from those things. And the best training is going to just go out there and do it and make mistakes. And that's okay. You need to find the right uh, supervisor and the right leadership to, to allow you to make mistakes. I know I've heard people say that out loud, but I don't necessarily always see it in reality. Um, but you need if you have a leader that will allow you to fail a little bit, I think you're gonna you, that's going to be the best training ground for you. Crisis action plan and getting to the point, um, you know, you have to make sure you're defining the problem up front, spend all, spend the majority of your time properly defining the problem, and then making sure everyone rows in the same direction and uh, team buy-in is achieved. And then finally, sometimes you need to create your own opportunities. I, I find myself at a different crossroads and trying to uh, remain competitive professionally, yet be a good teammate, and I believe I can achieve both at the same time. So... Hope this uh, uh, episode just kind of hits a couple things and tickles your mind strings and uh, gets you thinking about and make become a greater leader. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. This is Gabe Brock, and thanks for tuning in to the Breaking Red podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can improve our work and deliver the best content possible. You can find our community platforms on Facebook and YouTube by searching for Breaking Red podcast. Keep up with weekly content at our website, projectrise.co, and you can find me on Instagram at at gaybrock01. Like, follow, and share Breaking Red podcast content everywhere possible, both the good and the bad. Join our conversations with other rising military leaders that aren't afraid to break red and learn how to rise to your potential.